What's up and welcome to Difficulty Class. This week, uh, we're going to be running a, a little adventure that is supposed to be a solo adventure for the introduction of Call of Cthulhu. It comes in the starter kit. Uh, Tara is going to be reading it, and I'm going to be choosing what to do and making a character. And hopefully you guys can uh, learn how this game works before uh, the coming weeks where we are going to go full into the, the craziness that Ben has written for us. Um, so, yeah, uh, it... Uh, Take a listen, enjoy, and uh, yeah, have fun. Don't lose your mind. The sun is high in the sky, a merciless ball of heat. You feel scorched by the time you reach the bus halt in front of Osborne's drugstore. It's a relief to put down your heavy cases and take off your hat for a moment. You fan your face. It has been a long summer here in your hometown, and yet curiously empty one. You look across the street at the grubby butcher shop, the grocer's with its faded awning and the shabby tobacconist. Mistrustful faces glare at you as they pass, eyeing your clothing and luggage. It was your parents' choice to live here, not yours. You were happy down south as a child, among Providence's white-walled houses and leafy churchyards. Perhaps this new job in Arkham will supply the change you need. Yet everybody you know in the world lives here. You know nobody in Arkham, not one soul. You ask yourself one last time if you are doing the right thing. The answer is here. None of your supposed friends have come to see you off. You are alone. Whatever challenges lie in Arkham, it will be a new life and a brave one. A small gray motor coach approaches and, sh and rattles to a stop. You put your hat back on and pick up your cases. Two young men with sullen expressions alight from the coach. One looks you up and down before heading away. The driver also steps down, glancing at you before crossing the road to visit the tobacconist. When he returns, he is rolling a cigarette between his yellowed fingers. He gives it a final twist and examines you as he reaches for his m matchbox. He is a thin man in his fifties, dressed in a stained shirt with the bus company emblem. His eyes are sharp in their dark sockets. Where to? You show him your ticket uh, for Ossipi. From there, you will connect to Rochester and Portsmouth before the coastal line to Newburyport and finally Arkham. You should be able to afford a rail ticket for at least some of the way. Otherwise, this will be the first of many long bus trips. Mm-hmm. The driver scratches the match and lights his cigarette. The end flares as he takes a draw. Then he exhales and gestures to the back of the coach. Luggage rats up, racks up there. Look at your investigator sheet. At the top, you have spaces for eight characteristics. Strength, constitution, power, dexterity, appearance, size, intelligence, and education. Allocate the following values among them, writing them in, lar in the large square beside each. 40, 50, 50, 50, 60, 60, 70, 80. If you would like more information about what these characteristics mean, you can always read into book two <laughs> um so i've gone ahead so uh, i've gone ahead and made uh the choices as this uh education has 80 uh strength has 70 intelligence and dex and power or sorry no dex and power are both 60 
Uh, intelligence, con, and size are 50, and appearance is 40. So that's how I plugged in my numbers. Perfect. <clears throat> the driver smokes and watches you drag your cases to the back of the motor coach. The rack is set inconveniently high on the vehicle. You get a grip on the heavier case. If your size is 40, go to 23. <laughs> <laughs> this is a choose your own adventure book if you don't know. Uh, if your size is higher than this, go to 38. And since Trevor's size is 50, 50, we'll be going on to there. The, dr- the driver continues to enjoy his cigarette, watching with keen interest as you struggle with the case. You grit your teeth and have and heave the second one into place. Perhaps the residents of Arkham will have better manners. The driver fi- flicks his cigarette into the gutter and steps into the motor coach. His engine coughs into into life. You board, grateful that you will be the only passenger for the initial part of your trip at least. With mixed emotions, you watch from the window as the tired avenues of your old home slip behind you, receding into the distance. For a few moments, you can still see the church spire up over the brow of a low hill. Then the road dips and it too is gone. Arkham is your new home. You will travel there and make a new start. You will see two smaller boxes to the right and left of each character uh, characteristic. So for those, you would half the value on one side, and then you would take a fifth of that and put yes. it on the other. Uh, when you have it, that is a make a... So the, norm, the normal number, the biggest number, is a regular success. Half the number is a hard success. And then the fifth number is an extreme success. Correct. Uh, in the strip below it, however, you will see uh, tracks that record sanity and magic. Beginning sanity is equal to your original power. So 60. And beginning magic points are the same as the value you just assigned for power divided by five. So 12. The coach putters through the countryside. At first, the interior is stifling and your stomach lurches with every bend in the road. However, the driver opens up his window and by switching seats, you find a spot where the breeze hits your face. You soon relax into the journey, observing the quaint little hamlets that the coach serves. A heavy set woman boards in one settlement and gives you a polite nod. She gets off the next one. The road rises a little, passing cornfields and orchards. The leaves are turning and the trees are alive with glorious reds and golds. You have just begun to doze when the driver takes a tight bend at speed. So for here, you would add your size and con together, then divide the total by 10. So I get 10. (laughs) (laughs) This is the the starting value for your hit points. Uh, Mark it on the sheet. Um, Current total may drop. It is unlikely to exceed the starting value, however. Notice how it doesn't say it can never. Yeah. <laughs> it just says it is unlikely that, yeah. that you can get healthier than you are. Uh, you also have a luck score. So for that, this adventure suggests that you roll uh, three six-sided dice. Um, We've already done that previously. And uh, you roll three six-sided dice and add, uh, multiply it by five? Yes. So I got 60. Um, so now for here, since the driver took... Uh, bend at a high speed i need you to roll a dex check all right so this is the first roll that we're doing um so it's a good time to talk about the rules so the uh, way the call cthulhu works is uh you have a d100 which is you know two 10 dies and uh you are trying to roll under your value so my dex right now is 60 uh so i need to roll 60 or lower to pass this so let's see how i do 26. Perfect. So you pass. A desperate yell awakens you. You feel yourself slide from the seat as the driver spins the wheel and the motor coach plunges off the road. You grab hold of the seat in front just in time to prevent a a painful fall. The coach stops with a thump. Now you see what has happened. 
A Fordson tractor has stopped in the road and your driver has had to swerve to avoid the steel obstacle. He leaps from his seat to the, into the road, unleashing a string of curses at the farmer. You take a moment to catch your breath. Perhaps you should offer assistance. But the driver has already returned. He backs the coach up a little and threads it around the tractor, glaring at the farmer. You resume your journey. The driver takes the curves with more caution than before. He glances over his shoulder at you a couple times. Sorry about before. That fellow was dumber than a hog. I'm Silas. What's your name? The accident was at least as much Silas's fault as the farmer's. But it doesn't seem shrewd to antagonize the man while he's driving you through the middle of nowhere. So here, you make up a name for your character. I chose Jacob Cooper. Jacob Cooper. And your age? Uh, 33. Perfect. Also, it is uh, worth pointing out that uh, in Call of Cthulhu, uh, depending on how much of the rules you want to use, there are actually rules on what your age does to your scores. Yes. This book in particular does suggest that you are probably between 23 and 36, just for ease of gameplay, Mm -hmm. because they didn't want to introduce players to, if you're younger than that, you're going to take a negative Mm -hmm. to your strength and to your size, (laughs) most likely. Um, So, there we go. So, Jacob, Mm -hmm. then. The coach turns into a narrow road, which weaves uphill through woodland. Silas becomes chatty. Going to Arkham, eh? Can't say I've ever heard of the place. Went to Boston once. Didn't like it. Too much hustle and bustle. Got family there? Special someone waiting? The afternoon is wearing on. You see no harm in confiding in Silas about your new life. A job, eh? What's your line? So from here, you get to choose an occupation for your character. So uh, what's the the options that we did have in there? We've already previously picked it, but... So here you have the choice of becoming an antiquarian, a doctor of medicine, a journalist, a private investigator, or a professor. So uh, I decided to go with the very cliche Call of Cthulhu trope of being a private investigator. Um, and uh, yeah, so when you pick the when you pick the career, uh, it gives you a list of skills that um, you are able to. It, it's basically like you're you're proficient with in D and D. Like these are these are the skills that you are already good at because this is what your profession is. Um, and just like before. Uh, with the uh, attributes, I was given a uh, a bunch of numbers that I was able to uh, plug into these skills. So I'm going to go ahead and read off the skills that I got just so you guys have a heads up of what's going on. So uh, I have art and craft uh, photography. I have disguise. I have fast talk, law, uh, library use, psychology, and spot hidden. And then I uh, was able to get uh, fighting brawl as a free one. Um and then, is it, are we at the point where you get the other skills as well? No, this is, uh, okay. I'm still reading this part. Well, spoilers, there's other skills coming up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You skirt around the details of the, of the profession in your usual way, mentioning only that you have helped the police to clear up various problems in the past. Your heart pounds a little faster as you think of the post you have secured at the Blackwood Detective Agency. You've had enough of investigating martial infidelity and bank clerks on the take. It sounds like the Blackwood Agency is just the opportunity you need to cut your teeth into some real villainy. Silas narrows his eyes, but says nothing. So yes, here is where it tells you uh, where your skills are and where it goes and everything else. In Is this where the extra skills come in as well? The extra four? 
Yes. Okay. So the other uh, four skills, because you get to pick four free skills. Uh, in when you're actually making a character, this is done differently. Uh, but the ones that I picked for this one are uh, listen, locksmith, persuade, and stealth. And I was given uh, some more numbers to plug in there to build out this character. And from there, I believe my character sheet is actually done. So we'll, we'll see what happens now. You realize Silas hasn't ha- made a stop since the incident with the tractor. Your mo- the motor coach winds its way uphill. However, your thoughts are interrupted as the road crests a bridge and you are treated to a magnificent view of the vista below. A creek snakes through the valley, breaking the rich autumn palette of the tree line. In the distance, the white mountains rise into a hazy cloud. There is no settlement, not even a cabin as far as the eye can see. Birds drift through the treetops and you can just make out what might be two white-tailed deer lingering by the water. You have the, el- the eyes of an elf. <laughs> no joke. You can see that far. Perhaps you're making a mistake by moving to the city. Could you survive on your own in this lush wilderness? So in Call of Cthulhu, your base dodge is equal to half of your decks. Uh, you have a 20% climb and uh, 20% in climb. Um, certain skills are just kind of innate in us in, in every adventure, they, they assume. Mm-hmm. So they just go with it that way. One, one of the important things I do want to point out is Dex is the only characteristic that actually plays a role in your skills. Uh, unlike other uh, RPGs, your you know base attributes do not at all affect your skills except for dodge. Um, they are the, the attributes are kind of their own skills in a way. <laughs> yes. The motor coach rattles on through the hills and Silas lapses into silence. The sky darkens behind you, pinks tinting the clouds as the sun descends. Finally, a welcome sight comes into view. A settlement on the crest of a hill. This doesn't look like the pictures you've seen of of Ossipi, but perhaps you can persuade Silas to stop while you stretch your legs. Minutes later, a harsh stuttering from the engine interrupts your reverie. Silas frowns and rattles the gear stick. The motor coach falters in its ascent. Silas utters a curse you don't recognize and grinds his teeth, struggling at the wheel. You seem to inch up the hill until you reach the first buildings, low dwellings constructed from a rough red stone. Silas wrestles the coach into a small bay off the road. He scrambles from his seat and makes it for the engine compartment. Now here, you get to choose to make either a roll against drive auto or psychology. Um, I'm going to do psychology because I don't know how to drive, apparently. So for psychology, I will need a hard success. Okay. So because she says hard success, I have an 80 in uh, psychology, but I'm going to need to get half of that. So I'm going to go to 40. It's really high skill that I've got to put a lot into it. Um, 33. So pass? Mm-hmm. Perfect. You sense a falseness to Silas's actions. He is acting. Either he is not as aggravated about the breakdown as his behavior suggests, or perhaps the breakdown itself is an act. If this is a ruse to make you spend your time and money in a local shop, you'll be sadly disappointed in your purchasing power. On your investigator sheet, check mark the small box to the left of the word psychology. So, if you were to successfully complete this adventure, you would have the opportunity to learn from your experiences with Silas. So essentially what that's saying is at the end of every what would you say mystery almost um yeah it's it's kind of at the keeper's discretion usually it is at the end of a mystery or like a uh, scenario and stuff you don't really do it night uh you know session to session uh but essentially whenever you pass a skill pass a skill test uh you check the box next to that skill and then uh in that you know area after the adventure and whatnot where you're able to level up you make a roll against those skills uh and you purposely want to fail them 
Uh, and uh, if you do, then you get to add 1d10 to that skill, which I think is a really cool thing because then it makes it so you are only getting better at the things that you are doing, which I think is pretty deep. And I, I do appreciate it because it is just like that. It's you're you're getting better at the third at the certain yeah things. like like you know sometimes in uh, in other RPGs it's like you haven't intimidated one in like three months but I'm gonna up that skill <laughs> oh yeah no it's it's very different my, my rogue and Pathfinder just becomes miraculously good at things overnight yes <laughs> no, see at least with, and I know everybody plays different ways with different tabletop RPGs um, whether you are the type of person that um, mid max is the best way possible where you know that you need these skills. And mm-hmm. you go for it that way. That that's one way to play it. I personally typically play my characters uh, as like my gladiator right now. I keep upping her stats in things that she's already doing, mm-hmm. and then that's just because of how I play. Uh, but it all. But this game definitely lends itself more to. Did you do good mm-hmm. at that one thing? Cool. You have a chance to get better at it yep. <laughs> later. So it's really nice. Silas opens the engine compartment. Open. Oh, okay. It is said that way. <laughs> My bad, sorry. That was so weird. Okay. Silas opens the engine compartment and sticks his head inside. The hot metal pops and sizzles. He pokes at various components, then when, then withdraws and wipes his brow, smearing it with dark grease. I ain't sure what's wrong. Might be the old might be the oil pressure. Might be something knocked off kilter when we took that spill. Can't do much until the engine cools off neither. And with the light failing, I reckon we'd be here through the night. He wipes his hands on a rag. Shadows from your surroundings are already long and the air is chilly. You feel stiff from the journey and a night in the rickety coach sounds unappealing. Silas sees your dismay. This here's Emberhead, miles from any place. I only come through twice a week, but the folks here are good people. May Ledbetter keeps a spare room. She'll look up after you. Up that alley, turn right, first house on the left. He scratches his cheek, look, looks again into the engine compartment and spits on the ground. Meet me back here at eight in the morning. We'll see how how we stand. So from here, you have choices. If you want, you want to go looking for May Ledbetter's house. Will you ask Silas? Will he spend the night, or do you want to challenge Silas about the breakdown? <laughs> um, I think I'm just going to go to May Ledbetter's house. I again already said this dude knows nothing about driving her car, so he's going to be like, eh, "I'm wizardry to me," so that's fine. Perfect. Granted, wizardry in this game can just rip your skin off. Yeah. You drag your cases between the sullen buildings. You feel surprisingly wary, considering you have spent all day sitting down. Silas's directions lead you to a modest dwelling with a slat roof. The nameplate reads, Leadbetter, and underneath a sign in neat copperplate reads, Lodging Room. The lane around you is gloomy, but a lamp flickers in the window. A a breeze chills your face. You are not about to begin your life uh, by sleeping in the street. You rap on the weather-beaten door. And here's May Ledbetter, who uh, is supposed to be Irish, but I will not be having <laughs> an Irish accent at all. That's offending too many people. After a moment, you hear footsteps inside the house. A bolt is drawn back and the wooden door swings open. A figure with loose curls and a rough-looking house dress peers at you. Her gaze takes in your traveling suit in, ca- in your cases. Her voice has a slight Irish tilt lilt. Hello, should I take it you're looking for a room for the night? You inquire as to a rate, suppressing a grimace. As far as you've seen, the village does not offer you many alternatives. Oh, you'll find them very reasonable. You look tired. I may. Come inside and we'll talk over a cup of tea. The Ledbetter house feels cramped with a low ceiling and simple fittings, but is well kept and a cheerful fire crackles in the gate. 
The aroma of the tea is soothing and the cup warms your fingers. Have you come to Emberhead for the festival? Do you want to explain what happened with Silas or do you want to ask about the festival? Um, I think I'm going to explain what happened with Silas. May shakes her head and you glimpse a moment of deep-seated anger in her green eyes. He always drives too fast, thinks the road is made for him and him alone. He had a mare some years back and that was a terrible thing. You should have seen the state of the coach. You'd be surprised at the damage done. She sips her tea and gazes past you into the corner of the room. With living here, though, we can't afford to antagonize the man. He's about the only link we have to the world at large. He's not as bad. He's not a bad soul at heart. I suppose that going at the same route for 15 years makes a man careless. You have to forgive him. May goes silent for a long moment. Her eyes flick back to you. But you didn't come here to listen to me blather. And you must be hungry. I can rustle you up about a bit of stew. How would that be? You ask again about her rates, and May names are priced so low you accept it without hesitation. The room is small, but comfortable, and the stew dark and hearty. After dinner, you have a couple of hours before your usual bedtime. Do you want to talk to May some more? Do you want to walk around outside and get your bearings? Or do you want to turn in for an early night? Let's walk around a bit. All right. May's brow creases when you announce your intention to take a stroll. Mind how you go, she says. Emberhead's surrounded by cliffs, and we don't have your fancy street lamps here. Take the lantern and watch your step. Outside, you see what she means. The sky is overcast, and only a few, glim- a few glimmers of moonlight peek from the out- peek from the clouds. Without the heavy lantern, you would be walking in near total darkness. You cannot hope to get an overview of the village tonight. May Street is a narrow passage hemmed by hemmed in by squat dark dwellings. At the end, however, it opens up. A wide thoroughfare leads off to your right. A crude sign names it Silberry Street. To the left, a few yards away, your light picks out the crooked pot posts of a simple fence. And beyond that, the ground drops away into darkness. You take a couple of steps closer, but you see nothing. Air from below cools your face. Then some instinct makes you look around. An ink-black figure stands in the road, about twenty yards behind you. It stares at you. You form the sudden impression that it will run at you and throw you over the cliff edge. This is unsettling. Seeing as it has been spotted, the figure slips down an alley. Do you want to return to safety? Or, to, or do you want to confront dark figure? Listen, I didn't get my license in private investigating. Just let shadowy figures stare at me in the distance. I'm the shadowy figure that stands in the distance. I'm going to go chase him. Perfect. You approach the figure. Uh, you As you approach, the figure takes a pace back. Then another. It slips down an alley between two buildings. Oh, okay. I don't know if we've ever had to do this before. To catch the target, you must make a track roll. A track roll? Mm-hmm. What is a... Oh as my as god, if, there is track. Something. Oh my god. I'd never seen that skill. <laughs> All right. Let's. Uh, it, 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 so I don't have anything in it. It's, I have to get a 10 or lower. <laughs> no, no, no. I got an 81. The figure moves fast with almost silent steps. You are hampered with a heavy lantern in an unfamiliar environment. You emerge from the alley into a dusty courtyard and can detect no sign of your quarry. You scratch around for a few minutes, but the figure's gone. It seems unwise to continue your stroll through unknown dark streets while this threatening presence is abroad. You head back to the letterbed household. May lets you in and settles back in her chair. Soon she begins to yawn. I believe I'll turn in. What would you like for your breakfast? See, I like that. I like that it didn't, like, severely undercut you when mm-hmm. you failed. It was yeah. just... Hey, you didn't get... Like... You're in a place that you're unfamiliar with, and you're not a superhero. You're mm-hmm. a regular Joe, and I appreciate that about this game. Is 
that you are you start off this game as a regular person oh, yeah. with only like this job um it doesn't want you to have anything in uh, cthulhu mythos already it wants you to just kind of start off as this is what's happening i am worried that my private investigator can't track people though <laughs> but that's because interesting his... that it wasn't like a part of your job that is, that, that, is like, that is actually interesting that's why i'm like uh i'm willing to let it go no but no. because it is unfamiliar territory and because like you're not used to this place and so many things eh, we won't worry about it all right so would you like anything for breakfast as may stands you hear a clunk behind you you look over your shoulder but all you can see is a wooden door securely closed may tuts the young lady of the house she'll have been listening to us ruth come and greet our guest there's a short pause, then the door creaks open. Two wide eyes peer out from you from the gap, between tousled hair and a, and a rough nightgown. What do you say? Pleased to meet you. Now get back to bed. The door closes again. My daughter Ruth. Ten years this summer. She's a delight and a torment all at once. Don't worry. She sleeps in with me. She'll not disturb you. Good night now. You retire to your room. It's a little chilly, but you are too tired to worry about lighting the fire. The sheets are clean and the bed soon warms up. The silence outside is strange after living in a town for so long, but you soon drop off. You dream of fire in the grate. Coruscating colors shimmering through the dancing tongues of flame. At first they are tiny, almost microscopic, but they glow and grow until a kaleidoscope inferno spills from the fireplace, spreading across the floor and up the sheets. All right, it's time for a quick interlude like we usually do in these episodes. Hope you're enjoying the uh, Alone in the Flames adventure. But let's uh, get right to it and give a code for Idle Champions to get a free gold chest. This week's code is S-O-O-M-H-A-E-N-J-E-E-D. Go get a free chest, put that code into any Idle Champions, no matter where the heck you're playing it, because it's everywhere now. Your excuses on not playing it are dwindling. Uh, and get a free gold chest on us, and then take a screenshot and send it to us on Twitter, at Difficulty Class, and uh, we'll retweet it, and we want, we want to see what good stuff you got. Um, let's see. Oh, we're, uh, we do have another quick thing uh, for this interlude. Uh, the Kickstarter for the Tome of Delving for Pathfinder 2nd Edition went live yesterday. Uh, we tweeted it out, but you might not have seen it. Go check it out. Uh, so if you go to Kickstarter, you can look up Tome of Delving or DungeonNotebook.com, and you'll find it in there. Or you can go check out our Twitter at Difficulty Class, and we tweeted it out there as well. And don't forget to go follow them on Twitter as well, uh, and uh, check out this awesome uh, thing that we're playtesting right now, so we'll have some more to talk about it soon uh but if you're playing pathfinder second edition definitely go check that out now back to the adventure you wake up with a start daylight wait glints through the curtains you get up and examine the crate blinking the sleep from your eyes. It is quite cold. If you have taken any damage, you may heal one point back up from your night's sleep. You have not. Mm -mm. May seems to have no running water, but has supplied some in a ceramic jug. You freshen up at the washstand and go in. She cooks a hearty breakfast and leaves you in peace to eat. At about 7.30, you are paid up, packed, and ready to go. You bid May goodbye, and she wishes you the best for your new career in Arkham. So you did succeed in a skill last night. Do you? Oh, you didn't. 
You didn't succeed in a skill last night. Well, I mean, I did yesterday. I got psychology. Yes, but I think they're talking specifically about the figure. Oh. Because I could, I can, I can look and see what it uh, would it's be. It's okay. My psychology's already 80. Screw it. <laughs> okay. You are already tired of your heavy bags. Hopefully Silas has repaired the motor coach and you can resume your long journey. A sourpuss he might be, but the old driver seems to understand his vehicle well enough. You pause to check your watch. Still 20 minutes early and round the final corner. The motor coach is gone. You put your bags down and search the area, trekking up and down slopes and around corners. At the edge of the village, you trace the long road back as it winds across the hills. Eight o'clock comes and goes. There is no coach to be seen. The passing villager notices your bags. Looking for the bus? I took her, I, I heard him take off at first light. He's due back in about three or four days. If you need a place to stay, May Ledbetter rents a room. The man raises his hat to you and strolls on into the village. You curse Silas under your breath. Perhaps he went for parts, but you wonder if the old goat has stranded you here on purpose. May's doing laundry and looks surprised to see you again. Forgot something? When you explain the situation, she offers to store your bags while you try to arrange alternative transport. You are grateful to relinquish, to relinquish the load. Nobody here has anything like a car. She strokes her chin and narrows her eyes. Maybe you could find somebody with a horse and a cart for your bags. I would ask around later. Try Mr. Winters at the village hall. He'll know if anyone will. Or ask him on the artisans. Their workshops are first left on Silbury Street. She reaches over and squeezes your wrist. Don't worry. I'll see you sleep in, I won't see you sleeping in the street, money or no money. You thank May and, re and turn to face the village. You wander the streets of Emberhead without any particular destination in mind. The village is built on a relatively flat upland with splendid views. To the north, the hazy tips of the white mountains reach for the heavens. To the south, the sparkling waters of the lake touch the horizon. The village itself takes less than five minutes to cross from edge to edge. You arrived on the winding road to the west. The only other road leads to the south, following the lower ridge of land that, as it turns east. In the southwest of a village... An open, grassy space borders a ruined church, its graveyard cresting the cliffs. To the northeast, the three main thoroughfares meet at a raised black metal structure. It looms dark against the blue sky. So now you can ask about transport, seek out the village hall, walk down to the lower level and check out the eastern road, examine the large metal structure, explore the church, or look for local people with their own transport needs. Now, I only have a certain amount of these for timing, right? Correct. How many options do I have? I think you have four in total. That was three. We're going to say it's three for right now. Um, just, you know, time. Uh, so let's uh, let's go... Ooh, I guess go to uh, the, the main hall. Go to the village hall? Yeah. Yeah, because uh, May better... Or, May said that probably talk to somebody down there about it so perfect village hall backs against the cliff at the east end of silbury street it's the largest building you've seen so far in emberhead it is however locked and shuttered you walk around it peering through gaps in the shutters there seems to be no there seems to be one large room presumably for the community meetings and a smaller annex that serves as an office and archive one of the windows is bricked up back at the main door you can see no posted opening hours Mr. Winters doesn't open up mornings at this time of year, says gray-garbed woman passing by. Best come back this afternoon. You ask whether the office has a telegraph. Don't know, she shrugs. Who would we call? You will have to try again later. So you are beginning to get your bearings in Emberhead. Where would you like to explore some more? Um. So you can ask about transport, walk down to the lower level and check out the eastern road, examine the structure, explore the church, or look for local people. 
Um, I guess I'll look for transport. Uh, with, look for people with their own transport needs? Yeah. Not far from the Ledbetter house on the north side of Silbury Street, there's an open courtyard. The rhythmic tattoo of a hammer seems to announce your approach. The courtyard is the busiest location you have yet seen in Emberhead. It is bordered by a ring of workshops. Some are brick buildings, some are only rough huts. A blacksmith ceases to hammer, thrusting something red and glowing into a bucket of cold water. A weaver looks up from his loom, blinking at you for a moment before returning to his shuttle. A potter, engraver, and carpenter each work in their own space, exchanging friendly banter. You move along the artisans, chatting about their work. Eventually, you bring up the question of export. Some of them send occasional packages with Silas, and some restrict their custom entirely to villagers. You receive no suggestions about alternative transport. Make a psychology roll. Oh, hey, I can do those. Uh, I pass. Perfect. One of the workshops is shut up. When you stray close to it, the uh, repartee between the craftspeople becomes awkward, almost forced. Interesting. Check mark the small box beside psychology skill. Already done. Perfect. Yes, you did. Would you like to ask more uh, about transport at the local general store? Walk down the lower level? Go to the large metal structure or explore the church? Let's go down to the lower level. You just walk around a little bit at this point. You're just be like, well, I'm here. I may as well, you know, check out the bearings. place. Yeah. <laughs> the air is fresh and the walk down to the lower ridge invigorating. You notice cultivated fields stretching through the lowlands around Emberhead and among the crops and livestock, but no horses. Are you going to have to make your own onward journey on foot? Further down the road skirts the edge of the ridge and descends. There are a few scattered hovels here with signs of habitation. They are set of substantial distance apart, though. As you examine them, a door opens and an older man steps out. He wears a bedraggled suit and carries a piece of cloth. Which tosses over, which he tosses over his head like a hood. As he does this, he sees you and freezes. Make a luck roll. Oh. Oh wow! Uh, so I rolled a total of two, which is fantastic. That is a, an extreme success. The man looks up at the village, scanning the cliff tops. You get a bl- brief flash of his face. There's something unsettling about it. Then he turns to walk away from the road, but as he does, he raises a hand and slowly beckons you. Do you want to follow the strange man? Yeah, it's it's Cthulhu. What could go wrong? Let's follow the strange man. You follow the man around the outcrop. He glances up, then steps between two rocks and vanishes. Closer inspection reveals a narrow channel leading into the cliff. There's just enough light to see a small, natural chamber within. You'll be uncomfortably close to this man if you go inside. Will you go in? Hmm, uh, I mean, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> With the wary steps, you squeeze through, squeeze between rocky outcrops and enter the concealed chamber, almost banging your head on the low ceiling. The man settles back against the wall and watches you draw close. Then he slides back his hood. Make a sanity roll. A sanity roll? Yes. So uh, th- this is something to uh, note for listeners. Uh, n- most of the time in Call of Cthulhu, if you see something completely unsettling, uh, this could be, you know, something as extreme as uh, something from the Cthulhu mythos or, you know, like a dead body or anything like that. Uh, you have to roll to see if your character can handle seeing that. So I uh, apparently something uh, that the old man is revealing to me under his hood is causing me to possibly lose some sanity. Let's see. Uh, let's see how that goes. 
Yeah, that's a fail. You lose one sanity from this. I lose a sanity. So the this is actually uh, good. Uh, so because I've lost a sanity, um, so my starting sanity was 60. Uh, I've dropped down to 59. That now means that when I make sanity checks, I have to get 59 or lower. Yes. If I were to lose you know, any more than that, that number goes down. So in other words, the more sanity you lose, the harder it is to not lose sanity. And I love it. Oh, yeah, no, I, it, again, this game, as you all will hear us play later on mm. uh, with friends as well, uh, you'll hear that I, I just have nothing but good things to say about this mm-hmm. game. Some of the man's face remains. This is why you lost some sanity here. Mm-hmm. A strip from one side, from the side of his jaw to, the, to his right eye, socket is healthy and pale. If aged, but the left side is consumed by angry scar tissue. One eye droops, hooded by melted flesh, and the nostril on that side is pulled open to leave a gaping hole. The disfigured man studies your reaction with one good eye. Name's Abergast. Willard Abergast. Guess I don't need to ask what brings you to Emberhead. Do you claim to come here for the festival? Or do you admit that Silas has stranded you? Uh, I admit that. I mean, I told him, I don't know what's admitting. Douchebag stranded me. (laughs) That swollen mouth gives a little twist downwards. Son of a devil has rat's blood. His fingers tighten into a fist. Abergast fixes you with a lopsided yet intense stare. You seek me out, eh? He looks up at the cave ceiling. Which one of them told you about me? Never mind, it doesn't matter. Truth is, they fear what I know. They'd never come at me direct. Don't want to end up like old Abergast. He giggles. The high-pitched sound is all more grotesque coming from those bloated lips. Then, abruptly, his gaze turns to iron. Emberhead died forty years ago, shattered by flame, consumed by the stars themselves. That ancient hill was cleansed by Inferno. And from the blackened ground came new life, as it is the way of all things. The Abenaki knew. Abergast wipes his nose on his sleeve, except none of that happened. The flames were turned away, the necessity of death postponed a year and year again. And now those up here... He stabs with a scrawny finger at the ceiling. Think themselves saviors of the village. Think they can defy the great old ones. Iakdullah. He shakes his head with strange eons that their lives matter less than the blink of an eye. A fierce intelligence burns in his gaze, but you suspect Abergast may be quite insane. Should his mood change, it might not be difficult for him to seize one of those loose rocks and crack your skull with it. Do you wish to ask him about the Abernaki? The Abin... Aki, uh, or the great old ones, or the villagers, or do you want to leave? Um, I want to ask him about the villagers. Villagers, perfect. That seems to be my most pressing threat right now. <laughs> if they are crazy, every guy's face twists, he's creasing the scarred cheek. <sighs> their fathers and mothers knew the truth. They listened. They knew their doom and found their place within it. They looked into their own hearts and did the unspeakable. The current brood have the arrogance of children. Everything has been given to them, and they assume it always will. He glares at the cave ceiling. They would that I left or died, that I took the old words with me. But mark what I say. Those who live in high places have further to fall. He runs a hand through his hair. A wide strip is missing from the left side, displaced by scar tissue. He climbs to his feet. He pauses in the shadows. There's something about you. Something the previous ones never had. Perhaps you can make it through. If you want to hear more, meet me again after dark. Nine o'clock. The graveyard's on the other side. He lifts a gnarled finger. Don't be followed, else I won't be there. This ain't the time of, of year for a showdown. 
Abergast wipes his nose on his sleeve again. Go now. Their eyes are on me. And stranger, don't try to run. You'll never make it. You emerge into the sunlight blinking and more than a little shaken. Here, you have discovered a secret. Later tonight, uh, the book tells me mm-hmm. what numbers I have to add to certain things if you want to do things. Yeah, so that's one of the, the cool things about this book is that if you do discover a secret, it gives you a number to add to a future situation to get you to a new option. I, I like the way that they do it. It's, it's really neat. You turn back to the road in your core business, getting out of Emberhead and onward to Ossipi. The ridge gives you a good viewpoint from which you can see the course of the road. It winds with the hills, disappearing into woodland for a while before emerging further on. You lose sight of it somewhere towards a second patch of woodland. By your best estimation, that is at least six or seven miles distant. You see no other settlements or traffic. It may be worth taking a chance and walking. The weather is still mild, but you will need supplies before you attempt it. Your morning exertions have left you hungry. You roam the streets of Emberhead looking for sustenance. There is nothing resembling the busy cafes of your hometown or anything that might be called a restaurant. It is beginning to look like you will have to get supplies from the general store when May Ledbetter comes around the street with a girl trailing in her wake. This must be Ruth. As she notices you, she races past her mother and approaches you with a smile. This is a different Ruth from the shy creature of last night. As she reaches you, she stops and stretches her arms up in celebration. She looks you up, she looks up into your eyes. Abruptly, a smile drops from her face and she looks several years older. Get out before the festival, she hisses. Get out. She blinks hard, then scuttles back towards her mother. May approaches, wrapping an arm around her daughter's shoulders. She smiles. How are you getting on? Have you found transport? Startled, you explain the frustration of the situation. I tried Mr. Winters in the village hall. He is always in the, a- in, in the afternoon. You'll be hungry by now? Help yourself to any food in the house. The door's not locked. You glance at Ruth, where she has squirreled herself behind her mother's leg. Her eyes implore you to silence. Do you want to ask Ruth about what she said? Do you want to ask a- May about what she said? Or do you want to say nothing? Um, I think I'm going to say nothing. It's just uh, private defe- private investigator, you know, like... Uh, he knows um, when to keep his mouth shut. Yeah, I'm not going to, yeah. Little girl tells you to get out. You're going to be like, well, I'm trying to. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not sticking around. You take your leave of the Ledbetters and head towards their house. The door opens easily. In the low kitchen, you make a meal from stodgy bread and leftover stew. A little window offers a view to the mountains. If you've learned one thing this morning, it was that Emberhead streets hold little to occupy the visitor from out of town, but there's still about five hours of daylight remaining. You could take some provisions and bare essentials from your luggage and set out in the hope of reaching another settlement before dark. Or you could ask advice from this Mr. Winters. Do you want to prepare and walk out, or do you want to head to the village? Uh, head to the village. The village hall overlooks the lower north ridge of the village. You walk along Silbury Street to find it, conscious of the oppressive black metal structure framed at the end of the road. The shutters of the hall are open and some windows left ajar. There is no knocker, but a little bell over this entrance tinkles as you push open the front door. Inside, a sturdy door to your right is marked private. To your left, an opening leads through to the right room. You take a few steps inside, benches line the walls, and there are two notice boards mounted between the windows. Do you want to examine the notice boards or knock on the closed door? Knock on the closed door. You raise your hand to knock on the door, but it opens before you can complete the movement. The middle-aged gentleman behind it takes an involuntary step back, adjusting his spectacles. You hasten to apologize and introduce yourself. He steadies himself and peers at you. I see. I'm Clyde Winters. Just visiting, you say? And you've come to see me? Hmm. Care for some coffee? I usually take a cup around this time in the afternoon. His invitation seems genuine enough and a good opportunity to ask any questions that are on your mind. 
You step through the door marked private. The other side of the room, the village hall is unmarked, is marked compact contrast to the public eye. The room is compact, lined with shelves of books and file alcoves. One corner is reserved for a tiny pantry and what is presumably a water closet. You study Mr. Winters as he fills the percolator. Although thin on top, his hair is oiled and neatly swept back. His suit is a sober affair and well-tailored, even if the cut is a little old-fashioned. A lesser man working alone might have loosened his, t his tie for comfort. On the desk against the opposite wall, you notice what looks like a telegraph set. Do you want to ask about the telegraph immediately, or do you want to make small talk? Um, yeah, I'll ask about the telegraph. The telegraph? Hmm. Much as we value our isolation, we do need that link sometimes. You were hoping to send a message? I must apologize. The line has been down for two weeks. I reported the fault, but of course they're not so speedy when the problem lies in a rural area. I'm expecting a repair the day after next. I do appreciate how frustrating this must be. The coach is due in, what, three days? But I think he's going west. Perhaps you might engage a wagon. One of the farmers might. You explain that you've already asked a few of the residents already, but to no avail. I tell you what, when just pours you a steaming cup of coffee, the dark liquid smells rich and strong. When the repair crew arrive, I'll ask them to take you back with them. How would that be? They might want a dollar or two to grease the wheels. The day after tomorrow? It's less than ideal, but it's the first real opportunity you've had. Do you want to thank him and leave, or do you want to ask about his library? Ask him about his library. You make a small but flattering remark about the couple of volumes on his shelves. Winters blushes with pleasure. Well, of course, they're not my personal collection. They belong to the village, he says, but I did select most of the recent items. This is the community's library, you see. I put up the private sign to stop people from just wandering in from meetings in the other room. But this really is a public space. You scan the shelves. There's a sparse but respectable collection of on mathematics and the sciences, Passable selections on history and arts and a shelf of literature. He has a few lowbrow novels tucked away in a corner with tatty copies of Bizarre Tales magazines. Quality does not always equate to popularity, I'm afraid. Winters gives you an, an apologetic smile. Do you want to take some time for uh, some research in the library? Or do you want to leave while it's still light out? Um, let's, uh, let's, let's do some research. Figure out about town. All right. Winters is happy for you to spend the rest of your afternoon in, in study and offers you an upright but comfortable chair. You have enough time to peruse one of the researches one of the researches in depth. Do you want to read about the history of the area? Do you want to read about the festival? Do you want to read something from the sciences? Or do you want to read some of the weird fiction? Um, let's read about the festival. You are not surprised to find there's no published work on Emberhead's festival. Winters pokes around and finds a case monograph, handwritten in yellowing paper by a doctor... And Awalski. An acquaintance of my father's, I believe, Winter says. The manuscript is somewhat difficult to read, and you make slow progress. Anawalski speculates that the festival has its origins in pagan rites brought over by the Celtic settlers, which celebrate the ancient festivals of Beltane, Samwin, Imbolc, uh, Lugnadeish. There's some discussion of the struggle between the seasons and a couple of oblique references to the alignment of an emberhead. Alawanski suggests that the meaning of festivals slowly changed around the turn of the century. The monograph terminates mid-sentence at the end of page 28, just as it begins to discuss modern practices. You ask Winters if he has the remaining pages. No, I'm afraid those have been misplaced, he says. Perhaps they are still in the library somewhere, but... He shrugs, I must take the time for a thorough stock take. The afternoon wears on. You have not quite finished your reading when Winters glances out the window and stands up. He clears his throat. Go ahead and make a credit rating. A credit rating roll? Mm -hmm. All right. Um, 
<laughs> I love that there's a credit rating role. <laughs> All right, let's see. In this game, by the way, credit rating is more about um, how decent of a human do you look? <laughs> do you look like you're well-to-do? Do you look like you're more of a downward sort? Like, how, how quickly are those bound to believe you? Um, so I rolled a 30. Uh, my credit rating is 20. But I, I know it doesn't have it here in the book, but I want to do this just so people know it. So... Uh, I have a luck score. Mm -hmm. The cool thing about luck in 7th edition of uh, Call of Cthulhu is you can actually spend luck points to better your roll. So what I'm going to do here, I mean, this wouldn't be the, the ideal thing to do in a game because it's so many points. I'm going to spend 10 luck points and make that a 20, which it meets a success. Uh, but that now means that my luck goes down from 60 to 50. Uh, so if I have to do another luck roll or anything like that, it's going to be more difficult. But also, if you run out of luck, really bad stuff happens. Yes. Uh, the Keeper can always make things happen to you more often than your friends. All right. I'm happy to leave you in charge for an hour or so. Please don't issue any books without a valid library card. You thank Winters for his trust and continue with your reading for a time. As the light dims, you find yourself yawning in the closest of the room. Perhaps it's trying time for a change of material go ahead and make a spot hidden roll pass as you scan the shelves you try to move aside one of the three volumes of Walpo's a comprehensive grammar of the Andean peoples it will not shift and upon further inspection you find the three volumes are actually glued together and attached to the wall is this some kind of an obtrusive way to reinforce the shelves you hear footsteps in the hall, and on instinct, move away from this curious discovery. Go ahead and make a check mark by the spot hidden roll. All right. Skill. Sorry about that. The door opens, and Winters re-enters the library. He wears a small, satisfied smile. His gaze shifts to you when you stand at the shelves. Exhausted our stock already? Of course we accept donations, he chuckles. I'm afraid it's closing time. You leave the building with Winters and wait as he locks up. You thank him for the coffee and the access to the library. He strolls away down Silbury Street. As the light fades, you return to the Ledbetter house and eat a light supper. May's usually taciturn. Ruth's eyes flick to yours several times during the meal. There's an urgency there that you cannot quite interpret. Afterwards, May ushers the girl into their room. You have been in Emberhead for barely one whole day, and you already feel confined by it, both geographically and socially. The evening seems to offer little. Do you want to do some stargazing? Do you attempt to speak to Ruth? However, if you have a previous appointment, this is the time to follow it up. I think I'm going to do that previous appointment. All right. So at nine o'clock, you go out and you go to meet Abergast. However, he is not at the appointed meeting place. You give him ten minutes, but he doesn't show. You curse the old crank and head back towards May's house. Psst! A hand snakes from a doorway and grabs your arm. You jump at the sight of the half face, of that half face, glimpsed in starlight. One of them's near. Watching. Come with me. Abergast leads you across the thoroughfare, slipping between houses. The metal structure looms at the end of the street. Silent now, but the beacon will, all, will come alive tomorrow night. He ushers you into a little alcove behind the village school. Abergast glances behind you, then sits down. Again, you feel uncomfortable in proximity to that scarred visage. One melted eyelid lifts. You don't have long. Understand this. I was the conduit, the interpreter, before that fool winters and his fancy words. The things which come to Emberhead care not for words. Those idiots think that this ritual is of sacrifice. Spits on the grass. It is a ritual of control. 
They know the words, but they do not comprehend the forces they call. He sniffs and sits back. No, you have no time for more questions. I will teach you how to end it in the moment when all is lost. You can return this hill to the earth, to the death that came 40 years ago. I've tried it myself, but his head sags. I no longer have the concentration. The chant is simple. It, I, I can teach you, but you must perform it with a clarity of mind that I have lacked for years. Do you want to learn the strange chant, or have you had enough of him? Um, Mr. Private Eye. Screw it. Let, let's, let's learn the weird chant. Learn the chant you do. You feel very dislocated from reality as you sit on a clifftop behind a school at night, learning a chant by rote from a madman. Abergast is careful to teach you it in sections. He glances into the sky. Won't work right now. Cloud covering the star. But he still takes care not to pronounce the whole thing at once. It has a, ryth- has a rhythmic beginning and various elaborations, but the core passage is repeated three times. In, the t- in time, he listens to your recital and nods. Remember every sound, but never speak it if you have plans left on this earth. A black shape lunges from the dark. It wraps an arm around Abergast's throat and drags him backwards out of the alcove. He grabs at the arm, kicking empty air. You see the gleam of long blade in the moonlight. Make a dodge roll. Ooh. Oh, I failed. Failed hard. <laughs> Something smashes you on the temple. You reel back. You hear Abergast yell and the knife and see the flash and see the knife flash. One, two, three times. Its shiny surface darkening with blood. Something strikes you again, and as you sink, flames leap from the ground, painting the night with infernal color. They pick out three dark figures. So you're going to take 1d6 of damage. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh my, I took half of my health and damage. Oh no! I took five points of damage. That, that is bad. Yeah, that's not ideal. That is not, I have, uh, <laughs> I have five hit points left. Oh, okay. You make, you awake with a jolt, wrestling the blankets, ready for attack. The Ledbetter guest room is quiet, painted with morning light. There's nobody here but you. You release the blankets and wait for your heart to stop hammering. That is where we are going to stop this one. Uh, if you want to know what happens or what can happen, I highly, I think both of us highly recommend that you pick up the starter set for Call of Cthulhu. We don't want to spoil the whole thing for you, but I hope that you've gotten a, uh, an appreciation or like an understanding of how this game works uh, for the purposes of the coming weeks. Um, also, uh, you know, just, uh, this is not a paid for sponsorship. Just thought I'd mention it. There are also, uh, I think two or three more of these, uh, that you can get on drive through RPG. So if you listen to call of Cthulhu over the next couple of weeks and you're like, I really want to play this, but you can't, you can either get these or get the starters at and play by yourself and have an adventure. And Tara and I, we, we've played this book how many times now? I, I've played it twice for sure. Yeah, I, I think we by myself. I think, and I've done it. This is you've, the, you've done it twice as well. Yeah, yeah. So this is the fifth time that we've gone through it, and it I, I I love it every time. And the nice thing is to say it is just two people. You can have one person, as we're doing here, reading it, and the other person making the choices. Um, you can just sit down by yourself and read it yourself and make the rolls. Uh, this book actually even goes into well, what keeps me from just saying they're all successes. Mm-hmm. The book does remind you, this is Cthulhu. Not everything is supposed to be a success. Yes. Uh, we want you to be as truthful as you want. However, if you want to make up some things, that's on you. <laughs> like, that's, that's basically what the book will say. It's, just, yeah. it, it's supposed to be freaky. It's supposed to be spooky. Yeah. But the, the I mean, I, the reason why I like going through it the way we do is because I usually end up seeing something new every time. Exactly, and yeah. I don't even think still we have seen 
all of the stuff that this adventure has and the other ones are like three times bigger than this one. Yeah. So I, I, I love it a lot. Um, Just in a grand scope of things. So this one has 270 different um, entries. How many pages is it? It is. This one is 55 pages. Yeah. The uh, I think the one that we got on uh, drive through RPG is like, I think it's 200 and something pages. So good God. <laughs> so that one is a good full day of just playing around. Oh yeah. Um, well, I mean, especially we've... during this time, you could easily sit down with it and yeah. finish it. If you're still either furloughed or what have you, yeah. you could, it's still something you could easily finish um, or take your time with. Mm-hmm. These are a lot of fun. I couldn't recommend these solo adventures or a group adventure highly enough. Mm hmm. Uh, but yeah, so that's going to do it uh, for this week's episode. Uh, until next week when we pick up with Ben and Allie and Spencer and Tara and I will be there playing Call of Cthulhu, hopefully not losing our minds. Uh, so yeah, uh, until next time, don't get killed by some random figures in the dark that stab someone that you just met. Mm-hmm.